So please welcome Michael Hansen. Hey. <clears throat> wow. I'm going to make that to my, uh, my new ringtone. Please welcome. No, okay. Uh, wait, uh, I think it, what's the date today? November 25th? Oh, see, I'm already behind. Uh, that's a, so we're like a month away from Christmas, which is like, I didn't even know it was 2017. I thought it was 2012 still, but I, I'm so, you know, for kids, thinking that it's a month away, I think kids are like, man, it's still a month away. But for adults, it's like, oh, it's a month away. And so it's time to get shopping. CVS is open late, but uh, the fact that um, we're a month away means we're going to start an Advent series. And uh, Advent, uh, it's those four weekends leading up to Christmas as we, you know, we ramp up uh, to celebrating the birth of Jesus. And the word Advent, it comes from a Latin word, Adventus, and it simply means arrival. And so in this season of, of Advent, we're, you know, as we, like I said, ramping up to Christmas, it really is a season of uh, anticipation and uh, uh, preparation for the arrival of Jesus. It's a time of remembering uh, his first arrival on planet Earth when he came as a little baby boy, and it's also a time to remember that he's going to come back again. But his second arrival is going to be a little different. He's going to come uh, as, a, as a conquering king. And I, when I think of his first arrival as this little baby boy, I think uh, sometimes we forget what a powerful event it really was because it seems like he came in such a humble way. It seems, it seems almost insignificant. You know that he, I mean, he's born in O little town of Bethlehem. He's, he wasn't staying at the Ramada. He was at a, in a stable like in the middle of nowhere, basically. And there, there wasn't a lot of press around his birth. And, and it's easy to forget that what happened on that day when Jesus was born, his arrival on planet Earth, that uh, it really was an inbreaking. I think sometimes we see it more as like a sneaking in as opposed to this powerful event of the Son of God, you know, bursting uh, into the world of humanity. And, 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 and I think we, are, we can be prone to forget that this was one of the most significant events that's ever happened in the history of the world. And, and so when I think of the arrival of Jesus on planet Earth and his inbreaking, I think of it more like this. I think uh, Jesus' arrival on Earth is more like the arrival of the Allied forces on the beaches of Normandy. Like, who was alive during the Second World War? Okay, last night I think we had... I think one or two people, which was surprising to me. But uh, my parents were uh, uh, raised in Denmark, and my, my father lived on the border to Germany during the Second World War, and I've heard many stories about the war, and you know, the Germans, uh, they had 10 minutes to, to blow, so they went and took over Denmark. But, they, uh, um, but, I, but in, this, in the Second World War, the feeling was, the, the fear was, this potentially could be the end of the world. This, you know, this great evil, this, this war machine, this, you know, these, the Nazi war machine was advancing across Europe, and there was a sense that, you know, are they unstoppable? Uh, well, uh, until that day, June 6th, 1944, when thousands of, uh, of American, British, and Canadian forces stormed the beaches of Normandy, and they, you know, they, they broke the hold that the enemy had, and then they uh, all these soldiers poured into Europe, liberating people from under the power of, of, of their enemy. Well, that's an inbreaking, isn't it? Well, that's exactly what happened when Jesus burst on the scene. This, this is what's said about little uh, baby Jesus and his arrival. 1 John 3.8 says this. It says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. There's nothing gentle about that, is there? And the word destroy, it really, it's a word of, of it means dissolve. The Greek word means dissolve, to just decimate the, the enemy's work. And so really the arrival of Jesus, this inbreaking, it really marked the beginning of the end of the enemy's work on planet Earth. And can you imagine, you know, let's say you're somewhere in Europe and when, when word starts getting out that the Allies have taken the beachhead at Normandy, can you imagine what... Uh, uh, encouragement, what hope would be stirred up, what relief would be stirred up in people's hearts to know that, you know, deliverance is coming. 
Well, as we go into this this, uh, Advent series, that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating really the all the waves, the tsunami waves that, are, that flow, are flowing from this inbreaking of Jesus and that, you know, that he has broken through the enemy lines. He's broken the enemy's hold. And Jesus is pouring, you know, pouring into people's lives to liberate us, to liberate all of humanity from the enemy's, uh, from the enemy's power. And, you know, I don't know if uh, you have this tradition in your family, uh, but this time of year at our house, uh, even though our kids, well, our, you know, our sons are men now, and uh, we still take time to write wish lists. What do you want for Christmas? And the lists are getting smaller because, you know, doll, money is basically the, the list. But, but as I was thinking about this message and I was thinking about this series, I thought, you know, God, my wish, my wish for, for us, for VCDC this year, is that we would, you know, as we, as we ramp up to Christmas, that we, each one of us, would get a fresh taste of the power of the inbreaking of Jesus. Inbreaking, it's not a passive picture, is it? Inbreaking is he is he is crashing through whatever is between us and him to rescue us and to liberate us from the enemy's power. And my wish this year is that each one of us will will you know, experience afresh, just an encounter of the power of Jesus. And so in the next four weekends, we're going to be looking at these waves that flow from this inbreaking. We'll be looking at uh, the power of peace, <clears throat> the power of joy, the power of love. And this morning, I'm looking at the power of hope. So let's pray and just commit this time to the Lord. <clears throat> ah, Lord, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for uh, just the freedom we have to gather together. Lord, I pray that we would not take for granted the freedoms that we have. And I do ask Jesus, uh, as we get, you know, as we, in this season of celebrating your birth, your inbreaking, uh, I pray that you would surprise us with your presence. You didn't smash through the work of the enemy to just be aloof and stand at a distance. You smashed through to be up close and personal with each person. And I pray that you just come and, and do that this morning. So we welcome you here in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to be looking at the first chapter of Luke or on your smartphone. If you don't have a Bible, we have ones at the front and at the back. <clears throat> You're welcome to grab one of those. <clears throat> but we're going to be looking at uh, Luke chapter 1, and we're going to be just looking briefly at a, at a couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. <clears throat> you may be familiar with those names. But again, we're gonna be looking at the power of hope and how God used uh, the power of hope in their lives. So Luke 1, we're gonna start, uh, verse five, says this. <clears throat> in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron, Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. We'll stop there. All right. So number one in your notes is this. (coughs) Excuse me. Number one in your notes is hope for the past. Hope for the past. So these first few verses, they give us like a, a snapshot picture of this couple. Zachariah and, and Elizabeth, and, and I think it's fair to say that these two are, uh, they're preacher, preacher's kids. They're both from, you know, uh, priestly lines, and, and so that tells me that uh, Zachariah and uh, Elizabeth, they would have been raised in homes, they would have been raised in an, an environment where they would have been taught the ways of God. I mean, they would have been uh, taught all the, you know, the history of Israel and all that we see all through the Old Testament. They would have been taught uh, all the great stories of these heroes of the faith of the generations that have gone before and, uh, you know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and his sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. They would have been taught all the stories of Israel's interaction, you know, with God. And, and they also would have been taught all the commandments all the ways that God uh, has sort of laid out for his people, that this is how you live a life that is pleasing to me. They would have been taught that, you know, from, from the moment they were born. And, 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 and could you imagine having this said about you? In verse six, it says, 
uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, that they were righteous in the eyes of God. And wouldn't that be an awesome thing to have said about you, that when God looks at you, he just goes, man, this guy, this gal, they're doing it right. And there was something, I mean, long before they existed, this is a couple who would have had WWJD bracelets on, or, or WWGD, I, you know, Jesus wasn't on the scene yet. But, but there's, it just says something about the way they lived their lives, and the hope they put in God, the trust they put in God, that they, they put their energy and their will uh, uh, into, into trying to please him, trying to obey him, and live a life that really that makes God smile when he looks at them. And so we have this beautiful picture of this couple, but then verse seven seems to throw a wrench into it. Verse seven says that, uh, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. You know, in, in any culture, in, uh, uh, infertility is a painful thing. Uh, but in the first century, uh, for a woman to, to be barren was, all, was uh, I was going to say unbearable, but I wasn't trying to make a joke about it. But it was, it was incredibly hard because in the first century, and women, please uh, don't throw anything, but the, really the reason women existed was to have babies, was to raise up heirs and workers in the field, you know, was to have children. And typically, if a woman couldn't uh, uh, conceive a child, the fault was always placed at her feet. And so here's Elizabeth, you know, this, this woman that, that literally would carry like a, a shame because she can't have children. And, and I'm sure there were things said about her. I mean, uh, even, even I'm, I'm sure things would have been said about her. I wonder what's really going on with them because it was seen as uh, barrenness as a punishment from God, that God is withholding blessing. I mean, who's the giver of life? He's the giver of life. Hmm, I wonder, why would God withhold children from Zechariah and Elizabeth? And, and so we sort of see this, this picture of this couple who seemed to be so, in some ways, pleasing to God, and yet, but this is going on in their lives. Like, they don't seem to, to compute. And I, you know, I think one of the number one reasons why we struggle in our faith, or we struggle in, 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 you know, in our trust, our hope in God, one of the number one reasons uh, that people give up on God or pull away from God, number one reason why people stop going to church and just kind of drift Stop reading their Bibles, or, or a number, one of the number one reasons why people stop you know, going against the grain of, of, uh, or the current of culture and just sort of go with it. What's the use? Why bother? One of the number one reasons why we, we give up on God is, is disappointment. Isn't it when things don't go the way that we'd hoped? When things don't go the way that, just, that, that we'd planned, that we'd longed for, whether it's to do, like in this story, with kids or not having kids, whether it's to do with our careers, relationships, our health, our dreams, on and on and on. Uh, over time, it's like the, dis, you know, the, the disappointments uh, start to pile up. And at some point, the, the scales start to tip from a place of hope to hopelessness. And, uh, uh, you know, so when I look at this couple... How is it that this couple, you know, they're old, they have, they have this past, this long history of, of saying yes to God, of putting their hope in God, and, and, and we'll see a little bit later that it's not like they didn't ask him for a child, right? That was probably a constant prayer for them, but how is it that this couple, in such a hard place of disappointment, continued to trust God? Well, uh, if you look at uh, dictionary.com, it's a free app. If you go there, they have, basically it has two definitions of hope. And uh, the first one is this. Hope, the feeling that what is wanted can be had or that events will turn out for the best. That's one definition of hope, right? That, 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 uh, that what is wanted can be had. The second definition is hope, a person or thing in which, uh, in which expectations are centered. Can you see the difference in those definitions of hope? And so how is it that they were able to stand in a place of great disappointment but still put their hope and trust in God? Well, it's because they, you know, they had made this decision to not 
base their hope on the circumstances being fulfilled. But instead, they made a decision to put their hope on the one who is beyond the circumstances. Does that make sense? And, and, but it wasn't like a blind hope. It wasn't just a, like a blind step of faith or blind hope. It really was a, a hope based on, 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 on solid uh, uh, results. And here's what I mean. When I say hope for the past, what Zechariah and, and Elizabeth were doing is, really what they were doing is they were drawing hope from the past. Right? Remember, they would have known all these stories and they would have, they would have uh, you know, heard the stories of all these you know, heroes of the faith and they would have seen the examples of people's lives who, who were putting their hope not in the circumstances, but in, but in God. Like long before Jesus had said it, Zechariah and Elizabeth really were looking back and learning from people who were living Matthew 6.33, and we don't have a slide for this. But Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God. Right, trust first. Put your hope first in the kingdom of God and his plans, and basically it says, and he'll take care of the rest. He'll take care of, of the results. And, and you know, so they would have heard the stories of you know, Abraham and all his interactions with God. They would have heard the stories of, of, I mean, one that comes to my mind is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, these are guys, they would have been heroes to them. Remember that story in the book of Daniel, these three uh, you know, uh, they, the people of Israel have been taken, you know, captive in a foreign land and, and, and these three men of Israel are, are working for the king and the king builds this idol and, and, uh, and he's saying, everyone has to bow down to this idol and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they say, well, no, our God says that we're not to bow down to that idol. And he says, well, the king says, if you don't bow down to my idol, I'm gonna throw you into the fiery furnace. And they, Zechariah and Elizabeth would have known those stories and they would have drawn hope from the decisions that these guys made, from the, from the, from the lives that they lived, that they would have seen them stand up to the king and say, you know what, king, we have to obey our God. Because one, we believe he can save us from the fiery furnace. But then they say this incredible statement. But even if he doesn't, we're gonna obey him over you. And they would have known these stories and it would have, it would have, uh, uh, it, it would have inspired their hope for, uh, to put their hope in God as opposed to the circumstances. And you know what, it's dangerous for us. It's dangerous for us to base our hope on everything going according to our plans. And uh, one reason is because just life, because it rarely does, and two, because that, uh, that belief is just not biblical, right? The Bible doesn't say, you know, Jesus didn't say to the disciples, come follow me and everything's just gonna be peachy keen for the rest of your life. That's the message version. He didn't say that, did he? He said, come follow me. And really, like John 16, he talks about how, really, here's the deal. The, the, uh, uh, in this life, you're gonna have lots of troubles, Meaning in this life, there's gonna be a lot of curveballs coming your way. In this life, there's gonna be a lot of things that make you go, what? I don't understand. There's gonna be lots of disappointment in this life. He said, if you base your hope on circumstances, it's gonna be a miserable ride because circumstances are all over the map. And what did he say to them? He said, so here, the way you wanna do this is you want to put your hope in me because the only constant in life is him. His promise was, you will have trouble, but then he follows it up with, but take heart. Take heart, because I'm always going to be with you. And uh, when I look at this season of Advent and even the title of this series, In Breaking, the picture I have is, again, it's not a, that's not a passive picture. I see Jesus sort of, you know, like Superman, you know, blasting through anything in front of him to get to the person that needs rescuing. And I believe that there are people here today that God is, what he's doing in his pursuit of you is he's, uh, he's, he's breaking through the shell of disappointment. Does that make sense? Where in your life, you know, as you look back on your life in the past, you've got this this growing amount of disappointment. 
And, and we have an enemy. We have an enemy who wants that pile just to grow and grow and grow, and he wants us just to turn away and just give up on God. We might still go to church. We might still shop at Lifeway Christian Books, but we, but we will have lost hope in him. That's the enemy's plan. But you know, God's plan in this season of preparation for his arrival, God's plan is it's a season, it's a time for you to make an exchange. God, you know, I believe that there are people here today that God's saying, now's the time. Now's the time to take that hurt, disappointment, questions, anger, whatever is balled up, and, and make that exchange and hand it over to me. Because you know what? The, the picture I have in my mind is that uh, God doesn't just want to make an exchange and, you know, and, and to take the disappointment and pour a little bit of hope, you know, a little bit of his presence into your heart. I mean, yes, he wants to do that, but you know what? He wants to make each one of us into, and see if this makes sense, into like hope giants. Do you know what I mean? He wants to make us into a people who have learned based on looking backwards, and we're gonna get in a second here to looking in the present, but he wants to make us into a people who, who have learned not to base our hope and our faith on the circumstances, but to base them on him, on the solid rock. Does that make sense? That's what he wants to uh, build into our lives. And, you know, in the, and again, the picture I have for some of us, we don't have room for the hope because we're filled with disappointment. And if that's you today, I, I just see the Lord saying, it's time to hand it over. It's time to make an exchange. Because, because again, the enemy wants that to turn into a hard-shelled heart. But God is wanting to break in today and bring you comfort. So, number one, uh, hope for the past. Number two, oh, we'll get there in a second. Uh, let's move on from, uh, to verse eight. Uh, verse eight says this. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Okay. Now, number two in your notes is hope for the present. Hope for the present. And again, here's Zechariah. You know, all these years of following hard after God, all these years of living to please him, and all these years of the disappointment and the pain of, of uh, you know, their, their struggle. And, and suddenly what we see in this little bit I read is that God is, is suddenly blasting into this guy's life. And it says in verse 9 that he was chosen by lot to go into the temple that day. And something I learned this week uh, uh, was that in the temple in Jerusalem there were 24 uh, divisions of priests, and each division had uh, approximately 300 priests. So that means that there were like well over 7,000 priests uh, that served in the temple of Jerusalem. And some people think we are a little pastor heavy. I think that's pretty, uh, pretty substantial. But they would, uh, they would serve uh, twice a year for one week at a time, and when your division was on, they would cast lots you know, roll dice or whatever, they would, they, would, they would cast lots to determine the different jobs that people would do. And every priest, when their division was on, every priest was hoping that they were the one, that the lot would, you know, fall on them, that they were the one that got to take the incense into the holy of holies. Because that was like, that was like what everyone wanted to do. As scary as it was, but as awesome as it was to go into the place of God's presence. And uh, this was something interesting, that once the lot fell to you and you, you, know, uh, you got to do that, you never got to do it again. You only got to do it once. And so here's Zechariah. It is his big day, and, and as excited as he was, he had no idea what he was in for. And you know, I've never seen an angel that I know of, and 
And uh, remember the program Touched by an Angel? Something tells me it wasn't a beautiful Welsh woman that showed up uh, in the Holy of Holies, you know, with a great accent. And uh, every time angels show up in the Bible, their first words are, don't be afraid, you know? That tells me that it was, uh, that was both, you know, an incredibly frightening, frightening encounter, but I also think how incredibly encouraging this must have been for Zechariah. Like, it, it stood out to me that uh, in, in the passage we read that the angel didn't say, you know, uh, to, to Zechariah, don't be af- afraid, priest number 214. Like, and as that might sound silly, but that stood out to me as I was reading this. Like, that he knew his name. That just, it shows the, the, how personal God is with you and with me. That when he showed up, that he, he called him by name. I know you. I know who you are. You know, don't be afraid, Zachariah. And then to say, I mean, wouldn't this put wind in your sails? Wouldn't this put pour hope into your heart to have an angelic being come to you and say, God has heard your prayers? Hey, wouldn't that be awesome? You know, I, I don't know where you're at with this. I think we've... You know, maybe at different levels, we, we do believe that God hears our prayers, but to have an angel come and say, God has heard your prayers would be incredibly uh, encouraging to think that, you know, uh, my prayer, seven billion people, and, and even though we've been taught it, I think sometimes we don't believe it, but to think that he's heard uh, my prayer and, and that, you know, that God uh, knows me like that. And, and I mean, talk about stirring hope. And I think one of the ways that God breaks into our lives with hope in the present is through what I call uh, heavenly touches. Right? One of the ways that God breaks into our lives is it's through uh, uh, personal indicators of God's presence with us and his knowledge of us. Right? It's, when, it's when someone says something or someone sends you a card or sends you an email and all the text and all the different ways we can communicate nowadays, but, but especially when some, someone says something to you, uh, speaks into your life, and they say something, they, 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 they touch on something that only God could have known. Like, have you ever experienced that? Like, it's super encouraging. I mean, that's like a game-changing moment. And I remember when I was, uh, I was 19, um, I was... Uh, if you, uh, there's an organization called YWAM. It's uh, Youth with a Mission, and it's a global um, it's mission for youth, thus the name. But they, it's for like teens and early 20s, and you go all around the world, and, and, or they have schools all around the world. And I was uh, going to uh, one of their schools in Los Angeles, and we were having a conference uh, in Hollywood, of all places. And we were, uh, we were the hosts, our YWAM team, and so we were doing all the work. And, and there were hundreds of young people being bussed in for this, this conference. And I had heard that one of the guys that was gonna be speaking at this conference <clears throat> was a man who was known uh, to be, have a, a prophetic gift. And, and really what I mean by that is, is this guy was known for, as he would travel around, that God would speak to him and give him messages for someone else, heavenly touches, to, to encourage them. And I can remember, you know, working at this conference, and as we're getting ready for that meeting, and I was, we were, you know, the workers, we sat way in the back. <clears throat> and I remember sitting there thinking, you know, again, I'm a young man, I thought, oh, that would be awesome. That would be so awesome if, if this guy had a word for me. And then I, you know, then I'm looking at this room and all, you know, hundreds of kids and, or, you know, teens. And I thought, yeah, that's wishful thinking. And so then the service started and, you know, what's going on. And uh, uh, about halfway through his talk, <clears throat> this guy stepped away from the pulpit and he sort of squints and he looks way up in the back and he points in my direction and he says, this young man in the red shirt and I still remember, because this is branded on my memory, I was wearing this red shirt that I got in Australia called Pancakes on the Rocks. If you're ever in Sydney, uh, if you're ever in Sydney and you want a good breakfast, <laughs> they're expensive, but it's, they have great breakfast. But I still remember, I was wearing that shirt, and, and, he, and he pointed, he said, this man in the, a young man in the red shirt, and I'm like, <gasps> and he just starts uh, sharing this encouraging word about, about my life and, and, and some of God's plans, and he's going on, and I'm... Uh, uh, you know, trying to take all this in and, and all of a sudden he pauses and he looks and he goes, uh, he says, 
young, he says, young man, this is not wishful thinking. And I remember, it's like everything just went quiet and all the bustle of people just disappeared and I sat there and I thought, what? What? Like, you, you know my thoughts? And then I remember thinking, you know my thoughts? Oh boy, <laughs> you better get some soap, some bleach. <clears throat> but I, but it was, it was like, talk about an in-breaking. Like I'm sure this guy from the pulpit, I mean, he, obviously he, he was experienced in, in hearing God's voice and doing that. And I, I'm sure he was confident in what he said, but he had no idea that what he just did, he just, he just blew the doors off my life. And, you know, I, I get really emotional because you know what? I have drawn hope from that heavenly touch for the last 33 years. Like even as this week, as I, was, I would cry every time I would think about it because God became real. And it stirs hope that, that he, he is so in tune with me I mean, I wasn't even officially praying. Well, Lord, I just asked that you would. I mean, I wasn't praying. I was just thinking. I was just thinking, wouldn't, wouldn't that be awesome? And to see God sort of, you just wait. You just wait. And, you know, uh, when I look at that and the power of an encouraging word, the power of a heavenly touch, the power of prophecy, you know what, my belief and my uh, dream and prayer for us as a church, uh, one is that, that what happened there can happen not just for or to anyone, but it can happen through anyone. See, I believe every follower of Jesus can do what that guy did. Right? The Bible makes it clear, and you know, Paul says, I think it's in first uh, it is first Corinthians 14, 1, where Paul he's talking about spiritual gifts, and he says, he says, eagerly, advire, uh, eagerly desire all the gifts. But then he makes this point. He says, especially the gift of prophecy. And that, you know, again, that ability to, to hear a word from God and then to, to, to share it with someone, to blow the doors off their life. And the picture I have when I pray for us as a church is that when we gather, whether it's, you know, here in the weekends or small groups or wherever, wherever we are, that I believe that talk about in-breaking, I believe even right now that, that God is breaking in, that God is speaking. I believe when we gather, there's just like, there's so much activity going on. And so the picture I have for us and, and my, my prayer for us as a church is that we would, uh, when we gather, I see the lobby full of people and I see people talking in the lobby and then they look and they see someone and God goes, go tell him this. And I see people just going around connecting. And, and we're all delivery boys and girls. You know, delivering these, these, these words of encouragement. I see it, you know, during worship. I would love to see, you know, not just the coffee's kicking in and everyone's leaving and moving around the room, but I would love to see in worship us looking around and saying, is there anyone you want me to give a word to, God? Is there anyone here today? Or when we pray for each other, you know, I, I, I would love at Crave on Wednesday nights, uh, our high school ministry, uh, Sunday nights, middle school, right now, all these little kids, that, that it wouldn't be the exception, but that it would be the norm in our church that heavenly touches are going on all over the place. Because I believe that's one of the ways that God breaks in. Right? This, is a, this is a hopeless world. People need hope. Like, could it be that he wants to, uh, you know, pour heavenly touches through you and I? Right, because sometimes he does use angels, but more often than not, he just uses people like, like you and like me. So, let's read on here. Verse 13. <clears throat> But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. 
He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So we'll stop there. So we have hope for the past, hope for the present. Can you guess number three? Hope for the Cleveland Browns. That's, uh, where's Tom? Yeah, there's my man, okay. But you know what? I just couldn't find anything to support that. So, uh, <clears throat> ooh, I'm sorry. That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> Sense anger in the room. Okay. But you're right. It's, it's hope for the, for the future. And, and really what I want to focus on is, you know, the angel comes and he's sharing. Really, talk about future. He is sharing this incredible uh, 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 God's plans for the future. You know, he's, he's letting Zechariah know, look, you and Elizabeth, you're, you're going to have a son, John, John the Baptist, pretty, pretty amazing guy. And, and, and the angel basically, in the section that I read, he's just laying out this plan. He's going to do this, he's going to do this, he's going to do this, he's going to be like this. On and on, he lays out this, this beautiful plan, and you know that John, he's this forerunner of Jesus. He's the guy that goes ahead of, of the arrival. He's coming, he's coming. And, and so the angel lays out this incredible future for this boy, for their, the boy that's yet to be born. And, you know, and I think a lot of people uh, in this room, a lot of people that for sure that we rub shoulders with as we go about our lives, and I think a lot of people lack hope. A lot of people are merely surviving in life uh, because they do not have a picture of a, of a bright future. Because the future is not, you know, what was the song? The future's so bright, I gotta wear shades. I mean, it's, it's not a bright future. I mean, I, uh, uh, I think for a lot of us, and I, I think especially of younger people, um, you know, I, uh, I listen a lot to TED Talks. If you're fam familiar with that, ideas worth spreading. It's, it's really cool. But, but sometimes when I'm watching that, I'm like, man, this is depressing. Because you're hearing all these things. You know, talk about uh, not a bright future. You hear these so-called experts come on and they've got, you know, these great presentations, but they're talking about global warming and, and you know, whatever you believe about that or whatever your stance is. But, I mean, they're, they're, they're sharing how, uh, you know, uh, how the, the water levels are going to rise. And then they show you pictures of map, you know, a picture of the globe. And they say, and these are the major cities that are going to be flooded first. And, you know, all the destruction. And it's like, you know, it's like a Marvel movie. Everything's just, uh, you know, bleak. And, uh, and if that doesn't get you down, then they go to the overpopulation. And we're not going to have enough food. And, and uh, you know, all these things that are, that are coming, diseases, black Plague. There's all these different strands and streams of diseases that we, we don't know how we're going to, you know, have the medicine to combat them. And if that doesn't get you down, there's also Amazon who is, you know, you know uh, there are going to be no jobs in the future because we're just going to have robots doing everything for us. And I, I look at that and I think, man, what a hopeless picture that is. I mean, can you imagine, especially for younger people? It would be easy to be hopeless when you got, hey, the experts, look, listen to what they're saying. And well, when I talk about hope for the future, I want to look at, at what God says. What does God say about your future? What does God say about your child's future, your grandchild's future? And a uh, very popular verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. You know, uh, when God spoke that through the prophet Jeremiah thousands of years ago, he was thinking of every generation that there would ever be. He was thinking of 2000, well, almost 2018, totally, totally knowing the condition of the world, totally knowing what the experts were saying, that his word to us is, is, is far, you know, as, as far as the future, future is he's like, I know the plans I have for you, and they're good. Somehow God's like, I don't, I'm not rattled by what the experts say, because he knows that what he has for us, the plans he has for our children, that they're good plans, and, and it gets even more uh, personal. In uh, Ephesians 2.10, we see this, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Think about that. 
Every human being, whether we acknowledge God or not, when God made you, it was like a package deal, right? Or really, really, not when God made you. When God thought you up long before you existed, he also created uh, works for you to do, that there's a plan, that there's incredible purpose. And, you know, the picture I get is, is of this heavenly warehouse where there's all these pallets loaded with boxes and every pallet has the name of someone and it has the date that they're going to be born and it's just this pile of stuff for you to do in this life. Like, isn't that encouraging? Isn't that encouraging to know when you look to the future that, again, not putting our hope in circumstances but putting our hope in God and in in his plans and in his ways, isn't it encouraging to know that he already has those boxes just waiting, just waiting to be, uh, you know, to be open for us to do whatever it is he's given us to do. And, and again, you know, we have the, we've got the advantage of looking back at John the Baptist's life. I mean, did John the Baptist not do everything that God said he would do? And he also had a pretty crazy ending. <laughs> we won't focus on that. But uh, uh, he got his head lopped off. But I'm sure when he got to heaven and, and the angels were like, dude, that was awesome. What a way to go, you know, like, well, that's another talk, but, it, but we have the advantage of looking back at the faithfulness of God all through history, right? Again, it's like going back to point number one. We can, we can glean a lot of hope from those who have, who have been on this journey a lot longer than us, that he is faithful. The plans he has for you, he will direct you. He will guide you. He'll use all kinds of ways to get you to that box that's waiting for you this week, that box of works that he, he put in place you know, long, long, long before, before you existed. And just I want to end off with this because I think this is encouraging. And look at how God works. Look at how even, you know, we're not looking at the whole story, but what we have seen that how God likes to pick the most unlikely people to do his works. That I just think God is sort of like a, uh, like an, almost like an adrenaline junkie that, that all through the Bible, we don't see him just taking the hard way. He's like, I'm taking the impossible way. Because when I was going through the story and this week prepping, I was like, why didn't you just pick a young couple? Why didn't you just you know, pick a young couple who, you know, to have this little baby boy, John? Why did you have to pick this really old, you know, uh, you know their childbearing years are so far behind him, it's, 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 it's ridiculous. Why did you pick like, why do you do it that way, God? Why do you seem to, to put the most unlikely people in, in different places and, you know, all the different stuff that we deal with, et cetera? And, I, and, like, why do you always seem to take the hard way, the impossible way? And I think, number one, is it's for his glory. I think it's, it's God just going, look what I can do. And it's, it's, it's for us to look and marvel. Like, I don't believe it. I wish he wouldn't wait to the last second, but he snipped the blue wire. Oh, we're safe. You know, it's like, I wish he wouldn't do it that way, but isn't he awesome? Isn't he faithful? I think that's one reason. But then, one of the reasons God does it this way is that it really does build our hope muscle, both for the disappointment of the past and for the present, and as we look to the future for our own lives and for others, it really does stir hope. And I believe that one of the ways that we get to work with God in bringing his liberation, his light into a dark world is by being a hope-filled people. And, uh, you know, and I, I want to challenge and encourage us. We need to learn how to put our hope in him and not our circumstances. Because I don't believe we can be those people if, we, if we're stuck holding on to, but if you don't do this, I won't. Or, you know, if you don't do you, uh, you know what I mean? If you don't hold up your sort of, your, uh, or if you don't do things the way I think they should be, that's what I was trying to find, see that? If you don't do what I think you need to do, right? We've got to learn how to let go of that and to just say, to do whatever he says because he said it. Trusting that he knows. Trusting that he really, I'm going to end with this scripture. Trusting that this is who he is. Jeremiah 32, 27, it says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? I mean, that's a hope-filled people. That, I mean, that's a great scripture to memorize. If you haven't memorized a verse in a long time, memorize that one. It's easy. 
to know that and to put our hope in the one who can do anything at any time. So let's stand up. Let's end there. So uh, here's what I want to do to end off. A couple things. One is this. Um, I want to deputize everyone. And what I mean by that is give everyone the permission to start, as God leads you, to start delivering those heavenly touches. And so what I mean by that is one of the things we're going to do to end off the service, we've got a nice chunk of time. We have 11 minutes, according to that clock. Uh, I want to give an opportunity, and this is a more, uh, it'll be a risk. Uh, I want to give the opportunity and challenge you um, to once we start to, you know, Naomi starts to lead a song here at the end, to look around the room and ask God, is there anyone you want me to go and give a word to? Uh, and, and you know what? We did it last night, and I was amazed at how many people did. I was like, I don't think this is going to work, to be, to be honest. Oh, I'm not supposed to say those things, but I just did. But I want to give you that opportunity. Because I'm, even as I look around this room, I, I, I know you hear God. And, and, you know, and we get to practice this in a safe place, because the truth is, he wants us to do that wherever we go to walk by someone, feel something, see something, hear something, and turn around and go, hey, excuse me, this may sound crazy, but like, I think that's one of the ways that the in-breaking will happen. So that's one of the things, okay? Does that make sense? So for, uh, I just opened the doors for that, for people to do it. So then there's, uh, but then I also want to call some people forward for prayer. One is, one of the ways that God breaks in is through his love and his power and his comfort, and that's through healing, that's through comforting those who are in pain, the sick. And if you're here today and if you have pain in your body or sickness or whatever's going on, uh, we want to pray for you. And so in a second, I'm going to invite you forward just to come on up and someone will come and put a hand on your shoulder and just pray for whatever the condition is that you have. But then there were uh, two specific groups. One was that group of people who you're, just, you're aware today that you're carrying a load of disappointment and the scale is tipping. And I want to give you an opportunity to come and make an exchange. And I know that sounds like really simple, and, and, but I think, I think our part is just to step towards Jesus and go, I don't want this anymore. It's not helping me. It's hurting me. And we want to give you, I want to invite you forward to just come and make an exchange and someone will pray for you. And then the third group are, was... Uh, I just believe there's some people here that God wants to rekindle expectation in your life. That uh, your walk with Jesus is boring to you. And I think he wants to, he just, the picture I had is he just, he just wanted to put his arms around you and pull you close and let the fire of his heart ignite the fire in your heart. And if that's you, we'd love to pray for you. So that's, I know that's a long list, but there's those three people to come on, or those three groups to come on forward, and then the rest of you just to look around the room and boldly go where maybe you've never gone before and uh, pray for someone, all right? So Naomi's going to lead a song. Come on forward. Someone will pray for you, and then I'll, I'll end off the service. And again, let's make sure everyone who comes forward has someone praying for them, guys for guys, gals for gals. Be bold. Look around the room. See if someone stands out to you.
ways that you're breaking in right now. And I pray that you would, in this Advent season, in this time of anticipation, preparation for your arrival, that you would tune us into you. But again, you didn't, you didn't break through the enemy's defenses just to be a distant God. But you, you know, you broke through because you wanted to be with your people. And, and so I pray that there'd be a, just a greater tuning into you and to your presence. Lord, you know how busy and distracted this, uh, distracting this season can be, and I pray <clears throat> uh, that you would just help us, help us to not lose you, to not lose you in this, this crazy time of year. I thank you for all the ways that you're healing, all the exchanges that are going on. I pray that you would just heal hearts, heal heavy hearts. Lord, and I pray that your peace that passes all understanding would, would replace that disappointment. I just thank you so much for your presence and again, all the ways that you're coming close to people. Get in prayer. Uh, feel free to continue. And and, and 